Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Pastors here. It's lovely to be here with you all. Welcome. If you are new especially, welcome. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we pray now that we are thankful that you are here. And we pray now that by your spirit, Lord, you would help us to hear. Hear your voice. Hear your truth. Let it pierce our heart, Lord, and change us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever done something that you knew exactly how it would end? You knew what the end result would be, the consequence, how it would result. You knew what the knock-on effect is. You have that decision to make. You make it because you know how it will end. Have you ever done something where you know exactly how it would end? Now, I have a complex relationship with dairy. We're in this kind of love and hate kind of situationship. You know, I, I love it. A fresh ball of ice cream, you kind of the salted Murray Darling caramel, you know, or like a fresh ball of yogurt with the granola and the muesli little coconut flakes, you know, or like a cheese board with like the red Leicester, the goat's cheese, the King Island Brie, and maybe a, a hint of manchego. I love dairy. I love dairy. It just, it, it just doesn't go down well for me. It doesn't result well. I know exactly how it will end. I know exactly how it go, but I go for it anyway. It's not the end of the world. It's just not good for me. It's not good for me, for my wife, Emma, not for the drive home, you know, put those windows down. And you know, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but I used to have dairy like every day, like every day. I loved dairy. And then I got COVID. Then I got COVID, right? Am I right? Anyway, we went well there. But I still love a dairy and I have it anyway. I know exactly how it results, but I choose it anyway. There are some choices and things in life like that, aren't there? Predictable, 
Guaranteed. Some are a bit less dramatic and more ordinary, like your, your daily commute unless there's like a freak Sydney rain and lightning storm. But it's usually fairly predictable. You know, the trains are usually late, the buses are usually full. Or like buying a, now, a nice house plant from Bunnings, you know, for your, little, for your little apartment. You go in looking for a power board, you come up with a small house plant. And that horticultural vibe and energy that you want is just unattainable because you can't water your plants. Predictable. Or maybe like a chat with Nan, with Grandma. How's the weather? Are you eating? Are you still single? Or what about a headline with the, the, with the name Taylor Swift in it for the last week or month or year, it feels? Predictable. Guaranteed. But then there are some things which are not so predictable. Some things where you might decide to do them, or you're at the fork in the road, and you don't know what's at the end, and you don't even know what the journey there's going to be like. Maybe, maybe you've had a, a redundancy at work. And now you're at a second round interview with a, with an up and coming startup that the Fin Review mentioned like once. And, and the CEO seems nice, but he's young. It looks like an exciting company. It could be really good at this point in your career, but how is it going to end up? How's it going to go? Or what about like a verbalized commitment? We're official. Oh, you and me, we're, we're, we're like more than friends now. Well, what are we then? Are we dating? Yes, we're dating. We're exclusive. Okay, great. Where is this going? Have you made the right decision? What will this be like? Will they be the one for you? Moving city, moving house, our relationships, our families, our marriages, our kids growing up too fast. Life is actually full of unpredictability and change more than it is full of promise and guarantee. What about the Christian life? The Christian life, we're all, we're all saved, right? You know, those of us who have given their life to Jesus, you know, some of us decades ago, even in my busy, forgetful and swaying faith life, I'm, I'm going to heaven, right? The Christian life, life, in general, is sometimes scary and unpredictable because nothing in life seems to be guaranteed. There are so many things that we do where we don't know how it's going to end. Here we are. Here we are in this long sentence of spiritual blessings that the Christian, that, that we are lavished with. We're at the end of it now in verses 11 to 14. This whole passage is a string of spiritually surreal characteristics of the faith life that are, that are just so good, so amazing, so profound. The two halves of Ephesians of being and doing, chapters 1 to 3 and then 4 to 6, they begin with this cosmic level thanksgiving. For all that God has given us in Christ, in Him, chosen, made holy, adoption, glorious, grace, redemption, forgiveness, it just keeps going. Like Paul said a few weeks ago, being in Christ is like being in an aeroplane. Being in Christ is like being in an aeroplane. You know, one of those new Dreamliners or 727s. You know, with the first class lay flat bed, we get all the blessings of Christ, and he will carry us until the end. We get all the benefits of being on that plane, and we'll make it to our destination. But planes, 
And even Qantas. They don't always get to the end. The Christian life can be turbulent. It can involve serious changes of direction. And even difficult passengers. And dare I say this about the role that I've just stepped into, but honestly, sometimes you can even get bad pilots. Not to mention the unpredictable weather events that just come out of nowhere. Will you get to the end? Will we get to the end? Will we all, 7 p.m. in this building right now? And overflow. As someone who works in youth and young adults ministry, I get all excited and hyped about the statistic that 70% of all Christians came to faith before the age of 21. And then I get all anxious and panicky about the statistics that 70% of teenagers who are currently regular at youth group and involved at church will stop attending it at all and give up their faith in their early 20s. And then there's all the other significant changes and challenges in life, which are often faith-testing, faith-shaking moments. Changes are very apparent to me, and I think it is to all of us, as to how testing and trying it can be for our faith. We're talking about surviving, not thriving here. Why don't we turn to the passage for today? Let's turn to verse 12, the start of verse 12. Have it open before you, and we'll look into the beginning of verse 13 as well. We, it says, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In verse 12 here, Paul writes, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. First, that qualifier there of first, first to put our hope, that's actually like one word, like a group of words all together. We are the first to put our hope. Some take that to mean the Jews who either hoped for the Messiah from the promises of the Old Testament or perhaps the first Jewish Christians who witnessed the the resurrection in Jerusalem. That theme of Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, it's picked up later. But it's not mentioned enough here to be a clear theme. This list of blessings is so cosmic that it needn't touch upon ethnic differences yet. And thus is the nature of our faith today as well. It's more of a temporal, chronological statement, saying that we, we the early believers, Jews and non-Jews, were the first, and you and Ephesus are simply following along. We who were the first, verse 12, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. You also being the new believers in Ephesus at the time. And so Paul was among the first to put his hope in Christ, and we here at 7 p.m. Curibilly, we also are included in Christ. We and those who come after us. We and those who come after us if we faithfully share an example, the gospel of salvation to them. And, and it might be hard to do that. It, it might be hard to do that, to share it with others, to share with those who come after us. You know, it's, it's not a message about self-improvement. It, it's not a message about healthy boundaries, how to make friends and influence people. Sustainable wealth management, ensuring a legacy. It's good news about a rescue operation, a deliverance from spiritual death, from God's wrath, from bondage to evil power, sin in the flesh, into divine transformation and resurrection living into eternity. Hearing this good news and accepting it saves you. 
and includes you in Christ. That is profound. And just like this new religion would have been bizarre and distinct to the Roman culture around Ephesus, so is our archaic, irrelevant and outdated belief bizarre and distinct to the culture around us. Or at least so it should be. Because it is the gospel of our salvation. Is your hope in it? Is your hope in this Christ who died for your sins and rose again so that you may have life in him? Because if it is, you are included in him. And so hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. What does that look like? Hope in Christ is living in assurance that the gospel you heard and believed in saves you and that its message is true. That Jesus loves you, that Jesus saves you, and Jesus will bring you home. That is hope. But I think sometimes we, we as Christians, are sometimes prone to hoping in Christ like we hope in, in insurance. Insurance is like a fallback plan, like a, like a backup plan. We hear what he has done, but we don't live in confidence that what he has done, died and risen from death, is just as guaranteed as what he says he will do. Raise us up when we die. But this verse here, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, it approaches hope much more with the attitude and posture of assurance, not insurance. The spiritual riches that he has lavished on us are more of a profound and current reality than an unimaginable spiritual superannuation. I'm about to hit that age bracket where you start getting charged a Medicare levy for not having private health insurance. I know, I don't have private health. Help the public system. But don't worry, I'm getting private health this year. Who will I go with? HCF looks good. Qantas? Qantas, you get all the points. <laughs> right? <laughs> NIV, true, entrusted. Or is it? I don't know. That's what my dad told me. And just like this list of spiritual blessings, private health insurance comes with a lot of benefits. Although I'm realizing now that it's kind of like only 60 or 50% of those benefits. You get, you get some rebated, but not all. Anyway, private health aside, I think we sometimes approach Jesus like private health insurance, like insurance. In case something were to happen, in the event that my health were to suddenly change, and I'd be reminded that there's a limit on my life. My father had three heart attacks two years ago. Last year, I had chest pain and swelling around my heart chamber, and I don't have private health. But at least I have Jesus, right? And in many ways, through our light and momentary afflictions, Jesus is there. He is there. We can take heart, as it were. We can fall into his arms. But you see, insurance is a fallback plan for a situation that may or may not happen. It isn't promised. It isn't guaranteed that something will happen. Hoping in Jesus like we hope in insurance leaves him at the back of our mind like a policy number archived somewhere. Jesus lives in the back of my mind and doesn't matter until something happens that makes him matter. A scare, a difficulty, an unwanted or unpredictable event in life. In case something happens, well, Jesus, take the wheel. But you see, assurance, assurance is so much more about confidence, audacity, 
Faith in Jesus that is every case scenario, not just worst case scenario. Jesus always had the wheel, always did, and always will. Assurance is hoping in what will happen. Being assured, made sure that what was promised will come too. It is guaranteed. Assurance is grounded in the work and character of Jesus. Insurance, insurance is grounded on statistics like the likelihood of a car accident, hail damage, the need of an ambulance, a leak in your ceiling. But actually we have assurance that because of the work of the cross and the empty grave, grounded on that work, that event, we can hope for what is to come, for whatever is to come. We can have front of mind hope. We can have confidence that Jesus will do what he said he will do. That is hope. That is the difference between insurance and assurance. We do not hope in Christ in case something may happen. We hope in Christ because we are assured that something did happen. He happened. He died and rose again. And so we will die and rise again, no matter what may happen. That is hope in Christ, and it does not live in the background like an insurance policy. It spurs on everything we do, including this difficult, long, but joy-filled Christian life. So that's God's gospel. This is God's guarantee. How does God assure us of that hope? How does he guarantee that end result? Well, verse 13 there. Have a read at verse 13. He marks us with a seal. He marks us with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. I hope you know that if you don't already, that faith is not a matter of rational logic. Faith is not a matter of rational logic. Christianity is very logical. It's both the contrast and perfect solution to humanity's problems. But faith is given by the Holy Spirit. This is what some call the baptism of the Spirit, being moved in such a way that we are brought to faith and united in Jesus. Briefly, while we're here, and it's relevant to Ephesians, the question that some ask is, well, is there a second? Is there a second baptism of the Spirit? Well, yes. Yes, there is. And there's a third, and there's a fourth, and there's a fifth, a sixth, a seventh. Later in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5.18, there's a phrase there that Paul instructs. It says, be filled with the Spirit. It translates better, continue on being filled. These believers that Paul is addressing are already filled with the Spirit. They already have believed. That's why he is thankful for their faith. But here he instructs, to continue on being filled with the Spirit. John Piper puts it this way. I think it would be a mistake to limit baptism in, by, or with the Holy Spirit to a single second event after conversion. Even though you might experience one, that doesn't mean it's the normative way that this baptism is to be understood. I think the kind of filling and empowering that we receive in such experiences are needed again, and again, and again in the Christian life. They're not consistently the same in every season of the Christian life. It is right, I think, to ask for a fresh baptism, 
That's the language of the Puritans. That's the language of Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's my language again and again as I approach the pulpit and seek to preach. I say, oh God, I need a fresh baptism. I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh filling. I need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Have you asked God for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because you cannot expect something you haven't prayed for. Is your faith feeling a bit dry now? A bit hurried? A bit forgotten in the back of your mind? Well, ask God for a fresh anointing. It feels Pentecostal, doesn't it? Well, in a sense, that's who we are. People of the Spirit. People marked and sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 13 and 14 there, have a look. The promised Holy Spirit. We are identified in Christ because we are marked with the Spirit. We are sealed in identification, ownership, protection by the Spirit in the realm of Christ. This is is a Trinitarian work. Faith is a Trinitarian work. It's a movement of God the Father to choose and predestine, God the Son to save, and God the Spirit to seal and to mark you in Christ. You are His possession. 7 p.m. Kiribili, you are His possession. His inheritance, His people, His child. And what marks you out is not an eye color or a smile or a list of good deeds, being polite or a great legacy, but God Himself. God, the Holy Spirit. Do you know how profound that is? Do you believe it? Ephesians begins by proclaiming that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, the heavenly realms. And now this list of blessings seals that promise, guarantees that blessing with the person of the heavenly realms, the person of the Holy Trinity most associated with the spiritual, the Holy Spirit. God chooses you from himself and then marks you with himself. God saves you into his presence and then protects you with his presence. Metaphorically, spiritually, heaven now lives within you so you can get to heaven. Because this Holy Spirit is a deposit. This Holy Spirit is a deposit. At the, verse, at the beginning of verse 14 there. This promised Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. A down payment. A first installment. Like a 10% deposit with like lender's mortgage insurance. No, I'm kidding. We're not in Sydney. We're in the heavenlies. The Holy Spirit is a first installment that God pays into you. So that he can guarantee that he will get you. He will have you. Back at the beginning of verse 11 and here in verse 14, there's language of possession and inheritance. And the text translates in a way that it's not explicit whether we get an inheritance from God or we are God's inheritance that he gets. I actually think it's helpful to have a bit of both. So God's Holy Spirit is a deposit within us, guaranteeing that we are God's possession, but also guaranteeing that we will possess an inheritance. And the Holy Spirit is a first installment of that inheritance, a foretaste of that which is to come. 7 p.m., that, that very same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives within you. And now we have a total involvement in the power and fortunes of Christ. 
So we are chosen, adopted, and God's very own. He has marked us out as his by his Holy Spirit. And his Spirit is in us, protects us as God's possession, holds on to us even when we don't hold on to him, and lavishes us with spiritual blessings now and to come with a spiritual inheritance in eternity. And so at the end of verse 13 there, to sum up this point, this mark and seal is the promised, the promised Holy Spirit. The same spirit that Jesus promised his disciples. Um, Chris so beautifully read it just then. John 14. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you. The same spirit that was promised in the Old Testament in passages like Ezekiel 37 and Joel 2, 28 to 29. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. 7 p.m., we are in those days. We are in those days. It sounds ethereal, conceptual, because maybe we aren't dreaming dreams. Maybe we aren't seeing visions. Well, we can't expect something we aren't praying for. Thursday, 7.30 a.m. And so when we are in turbulence, when we do feel lost, when the unpredictable changes and challenges of life beset us, we can at the same time have a childlike trust, a spirit-filled faith, and by the Spirit cry out, Abba, Father, For even in our wordless groans and achings and cries for help, he will hear us by his spirit. He will comfort us by his spirit. And we can know that he is right there, for we are right in him by his Holy Spirit. Do you live your day to day in the reality that the spirit is right there, right there with you, in you? Tomorrow morning, Monday, beginning of the work week, the Holy Spirit is in you. For those that believe in God's gospel, you are guaranteed by God himself. And what are we guaranteed for? We are guaranteed for God's glory. Our last point, God's glory. Thankfully, my first sermon here at Kiribili is about predestination. (laughs) So that's fun. Uh, Or election, you know, being chosen before time. And it brings questions like, does God know exactly what I'm going to do? Did he know that I was going to finish this sentence with octopus? How come I don't know if I'm going to make it, but he does? Why do other people not make it, but I do? He chose me. He chose me. Well, do I still have a choice? Well, yes. Yes. Mysteriously and marvelously, yes, he chose you. Though you didn't deserve it, though you could do nothing to earn it, he chose you. You. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps not others. We'll share the gospel with them. Again and again and again. Persist with them like God persisted, persisted with Israel. Like God persisted with you. With us. Love them again and again and again. And then find out whether God chose them. And you chose him. You chose him. Enabled by his spirit, Christianity made sense to you. Your parents may have taught you, your youth leaders or other mentors example to you. You really liked Alpha, but you chose him by his spirit. 
You believed in your heart and professed with your mouth. You choose the things you choose to do, and God chose to send his son. Both are real and true at the same time. Just like our earth is suspended in the space that it orbits. You know, there is both nothing and everything out there in the universe, and the creator of this universe can do both. You know, being chosen like this, dealing in the concepts of time, choice, and predestination can feel, it can feel a little bit unnerving. It is something we should think about, but as we think about it, as we think about it, it's also something we should find comfort within. It's also something we should find comfort within. That God's choice to save us according to the plan of him, verse 11 there, according to the plan of him, God's choice is worked out in perfect conformity with the purpose of his will to the praise of his glory, verse 12. To the praise of his glory, verse 14. It's in verse 6 there as well, earlier in the passage. To the praise of his glory. Glory is the purpose of his predestining work. His word will not return empty. The message of truth, his word of truth that you heard, that you believe, that you hope in, will not return empty. It's coming back with you. All these blessings, all this beauty, all this miracle is for the praise of his glory. It's so that we recognize all that he is and all that he has done. His transcendent and majestic being is made by, defined by him coming good on bringing you home. Protecting you towards the end and assuring you of your salvation so that when you get to heaven, to the new creation, you join the chorus of those in that building, you will sing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Can I get an amen? And what did he do to, to deserve this? God the Father gave up his son to an awful death, taking on all of God's wrath, taking on all of our punishment so that we could be adopted and redeemed to God and then blessed and guaranteed by his promised Holy Spirit. 7 p.m., you can trust. You can trust that he who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory, will do what he said he will do. It is his glory, for his glory, all that he does, for all that he is. You have been sealed and you will be delivered. Trust in this and, and let it not live in the background. Walk in tremendous assurance. You have everything and everyone you need to get through the day. You have everything and everyone you need to get through life's challenges. The unpredictable continuous changes and difficulties of life that are rarely filled with promise and guarantee. You have everything and everyone you need to walk in a manner, to live a life worthy of Christ, of the salvation you have received. You have everything and everyone you need. The Christian life is hard. A Christian life is hard. Working with difficult colleagues, stubborn managers, toxic workplaces, you have everything and everyone you need to get through. Loneliness? Loneliness sucks. Loneliness sucks. Doing life itself, there are so many parts of life that are structured for 
people who live with other people. But loneliness sucks, but you have everything and everyone you need to get through. Unrelenting mental illness sucks. It's hard. But you have everything and everyone you need to get through. Not being able to trust your body anymore, you have everything and everyone you need to get through. Disappointing family members who you should be able to trust, who you should be able to lean on because they're family. Well, you have everything and everyone you need to get through. You have God the Father who chose you. God the Son who saves you. And God the Spirit who guarantees you. Marks and seals you for himself, dwelling in you with the power of heaven. And so when you, when you look ahead at the Christian life, Monday, when you think about doing the Christian life, the changes and chaos both inside and out, the turbulence, the unpredictable weather events, the narrow path, Trust in Him. Trust in Him, 7 p.m. Rest assured that in hearing God's gospel, that He guarantees you for His glory, into glory. Rest assured that you will reach that rest. Have you ever done something you know exactly how it will end? Because you do know. You do know. He knows. And he will make it happen by his Holy Spirit in you. Why don't I pray? <sighs> Heavenly Father, we, we come before you so tired perhaps or weak, perhaps even doubtful. But we thank you, Father, that you have chosen us, that you have saved us, and that by your Holy Spirit you mark us and seal us for your own. We pray, Lord, that tonight, tomorrow morning, you would help us to have confidence that we are assured, that we can trust in you, and that we can live day to day in the hope in the hope that what Christ has said he will do, he will do. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. And I pray tonight, Lord, perhaps there is a brother or sister here tonight that just needs to hear that again. I pray that you will put it on our hearts to minister to them, to encourage them that what you promised you will do, you will do by your Holy Spirit. And we pray all this so thankful, so thankful, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.